Where are you in Florida? I'm in Palm Beach County. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, uh, so when I was, you know, to be honest, I, I didn't know a whole lot about, uh, the, even though it's like, you know, practically next door, right? It, well, it is. Um, all you know, all the different islands in the Bahamas, and um, especially you know where you're at, it's like, man, I says, uh, that's 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 to me. I mean, Nassau. Grand Bahamas, that area, and then and there's a whole lot there that's further out. And uh, yeah, I just always wonder about living in you know these islands, whether it's the Bahamas or anywhere else in the Caribbean, where you're out in the middle, of, like the Azores, like practically out in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Yeah, well, we're pretty far east. Like we're we're sort of like one of the furthest east okay. islands, you know. But gotcha. that's okay. Nothing between here and Africa, so it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> all okay. right. So, so if you don't, I mean, I know we're going to talk about. Obviously, we were initially about one drop, and then we'll we'll tie it in at the end. We'll, we want to have you back on later later in the year. You know, when uh, for the release here in the U.S. market, to yeah. kind of draw people in, and it definitely seemed like it was a good chat going on there. And uh, last night, about uh, folks want to check it out. So she was uh, Siri. She, as she mentioned, lives up in Tennessee, and I saw that you guys are pretty, with Afrohead, pretty, you know, rooted in there. And uh, so that's great that, you know, this is it, right? That's that community, people learning, and, and I was like, oh, well, let me check out this, and the other than just being shoved, you know, Bacardi and Captain Morgan all the time. Yeah. Well, when we went in there, um, just so you know, I haven't had anything to do with Afrohead Rum since 2017. All right, so I'll, I'll take this away. No, 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 that's cool. That was, that was really the one that established me, that land established me. Like, you know, we, we won some big awards with it. Um, we got the only gold medal in the ultra premium in, uh, world masters in 2015. So when we launched in the US in January 2015, that was awarded in London, the only gold medal for the, uh, ultra premium class. That year, so it was like, oh, it all all sort of exploded at one time and blew up, which was great. And um, yeah, so you know, we hit Florida, we hit Miami in January 2015. Then by March, they said, okay, next next market, Nashville. <laughs> I'm going Nashville. We're going to Bourbon Country. I'm going. Oh my god! But you've drunk the Afrohead 15. Yep. Yes. Yes. And when I first started on that, that blend, that was way back in 2007, 2008, I knew I wanted to get to an older, older, uh, rum, but I wanted to drink like a whiskey. So I knew we sort of had a chance with that, not so much with the seven year old, but, um, I was very nervous going to Nashville and they sent us up on a, a bunch of restaurants, bars, you know, 
there's a big scene there, obviously, the whole food scene and that sort of thing. And um, when we went there, I thought, oh, my God, this is going to be so painful. These guys are going to kick me out of here. But when we went into, I can't think of the name of the place, it's the Whiskey Exchange or there's one one big bar there. It was basically, you know, all whiskey, bourbons, you know, scotch. Whiskey's more around the world. And um, went in there and we're looking and going, where the hell's the rum? And basically all they had was, I remember it was Bacardi Raz and about two or three. I know it was bizarre. It was, it was like you've got all these beautiful brown spirits, Bacardi Raz and a few others. And I'm going, this is, there was only four rums in this whole, on this whole back wall. And there was a lot, lot of spirits there. And I thought, oh boy, okay. So then we got onto tasting with a couple of the, the mixologists, you know, bar people and restaurants like that. And, um, the guys are going, man, this drinks like a rye whiskey. And it was all, I was, I was accepted pretty much early on, very well received in Nashville. Obviously with the 15, because it does, it finishes like a whiskey. Right. You know, it's got those strong char notes, the, the barrel notes, the age and all that. And it, yeah. So drink, drank like a rye whiskey. And these guys are going, this is fantastic. One bartender said to, said to me, said, come here. And I said, what's wrong? And he was a big guy, big, big dude. And he said, Listen, you've given me another weapon behind the bar. And I said, what does that mean? And he said, you know, guys are coming with their girlfriends or their wives or their, you know, their mates, whatever it might be. And they, someone say, Oh, look, I'm not a bourbon person. He said, definitely guys with their girlfriends or wives come in and the wives will go, Oh, I don't know what to have. And he said, the guys will sit there and drink bourbon, you know, for hours and, and the missus, the girlfriend, whatever might go. Oh. And he goes, listen, try this. And he sort of it gave him another sort of weapon, as he said, behind the bar. So he introduced them to an aged rum, which isn't it isn't as harsh as definitely that blend. Right. So yeah. Nashville really. Uh, I ended up going there four or five times. It was great. You know, hit the bars, hit the clubs, saw some live music. You know, Acme. Uh, that, that's a big venue in, in um, downtown Nashville. There they had. Um, I think they had the seven. On, on one of the cocktail lists on the top floor. They had it all through the, I think there are five floors there. So yeah, uh, Nashville was great. So the, this is, it, it's interesting because I, and I've talked, I talk a lot and probably most of the listeners are probably fed up me talking and bringing it up, but Nashville actually, my trip to Nashville was what kind of was the genesis of starting the podcast. Okay. And I had gone there for the first time and it was for, um, a drum, workshop with jim riley from rascal flats so he he offers i guess when they're does like december november december is like the perfect time to go to nashville and see musicians that are home playing in these clubs you know like hey rich redmond uh, you know from um he might be in there or you know again they're they're all you know every every all the band members are home they want to still play and get out there and it's like you could see some of these top bands you know in a smaller venue and I had the idea of bouncing around for a while. And then, you know, then again, Nashville, I just took it all in. I'm like, this place is great. And, but to your, to that point about it's weird that over time where rum was the preferred cocktail here in the U S way back before whiskey and bourbon and, and so forth, that rum does have more of a, if you want to call it a girly sense, but that's like the way you describe it there, right. Is, the guys want to drink bourbon, right? Whiskey, whiskey is a man's drink. Yeah. 
you know, whiskey, you know, and again, not to offend anybody. I know everyone, you know, there's definitely folks, but again, generally generalizing, you know, women would prefer more rum because there's more connotation of what rum, all the different drinks, which, you know, yeah. that, that's why it's interesting that, that three, you know, the cocktails that you mentioned that you like, you know, the, uh, and the Manhattan and sidecar, you know, they're all derivatives of it, but you can make it with a rum that is very similar style, right? So, so that the, the Afro head that I had last night on the, uh, the Facebook live, and this is something I learned about and I, and I tell others, it's like, you really want to get a good smell of the wood. Let us sit, let that glass sit out overnight and the oils that are still in the glass. You know, you can definitely, you know, still pick up all that wood. So it's, it's, yeah, yeah it's great. So, but it's interesting. Like we talk about that, um, about, you know, rum being, you know, whiskey being perceived a man's drink, that sort of thing. So, um, my fiance, when we started talking, she was actually going to do some work for me on social media. This is about 20 months ago. And I said, look, you know, one drop, I need some help with the Instagram and Facebook. And she was in, based in Nassau and I saw her on Facebook advertising, you know, the beginning of the pandemic was like, okay, you know, I'll do half price to, to help out with social media. I thought, great, I'm dreadful at this. And we got chatting about one drop and, um, don't know how it happened, but I think when she came to visit and I came home and she said something about the Afro head rum. And I said, yeah, that's me. And I said, I made that. And she said, that's my favorite rum ever. And I, like we, she didn't know it was, she didn't put two and two together, but she'd oh, wow. been drinking about five years. And um, so she's known this Afrohead rum for about, you know, five or six years now. And uh, so it was quite funny how it all turned around. She said, that's my favourite rum. It's fantastic. I didn't know that was you. And so anyway, sort of it's so obviously we have, I have it laying around here. But the 15 is going to run out soon, I believe. You know, mm. um, I haven't worked for with them or for them since early 2017. Oh, wow. And I know... I believe they got someone else to do the seven, a run of seven, but I, I don't know. They're, they're, I don't think I'll be able to duplicate the 15 um, because they're not, no, Trinidad, Angostura is not really doing any private labeling anymore. Right. So, so I guess, is there any way to tell um, with what I've got here? I guess, as you said, whatever is out in the market right now is 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 it. Yeah, that's what I, I, I believe. Yeah, I, okay. I, I don't know if I've bought a couple of bottles off shelves and it's been my plan to so I can tell, I tell, you know, what's mine. But the seven I had a look at a couple of weeks ago and this is darker in color and this doesn't look like, even look like mine, but same bottle, same, same label. So right. I don't know what they're doing. I just sort of didn't want to get involved. Yeah. yeah I, I, I had aside from non, non authenticity. Right. <laughs> And I had reached out to Jami last night, you know, him and I, we do a lot of collab and he's in here in South Florida and I, and, you know, and he's, he's got a lot of, uh, extensive collection as well. And I said, Hey, I said, is this a good, you know, you, is, cause I figured cause it, the, the, the local store that I go to had it, had it like sale and it was like 39 for the 15 and 29 for the seven. Well, the 15 that, price is great. Yeah. So now that, and, and they were and the guy rang it up and, I, and he was like, Oh, it's this much. I go, wait a minute. I said, there's a tag on there. It says there. I'm, that's why, I'm, you know, I mean, I would have bought it because you know, I wanted to at least have something to talk about and, and, and try it. Cause as I said, there's only so much 
so much money to go around, right? So uh, it's so much rum and so little money, but but yeah, <laughs> yeah. maybe I have to go back there and you know buy the rest of it all out. So yeah, it's um yeah I don't know. Like I say, I don't know what they're up to, but um, and that whole year was a funny year. Two thousand seventeen was a strange year for me because I sort of I'd had enough of that. But I was approached by a, another company to do a private label for them, a big company called Dean and DeLuca, which are now no longer either. So it's like crazy. But they, um, the CEO of Dean and DeLuca would come to visit Harbour Island. We got chatting. He said, I love what you did with Afrohead. I want to do a private label for Dean and DeLuca. And I went, oh, okay. And he said, it has to be 100% Jamaican juice. I said, okay, no problem. So I sort of started ringing around, sort of started calling on some contacts I'd had over the years because I'd, I'd been working since with rum since about 2006. So over those, you know, good 10 years, I'd sort of had enough people I could call or talk to and say, you know, where can I get this or can I get this or, you know, it's definitely tightened up. Things are getting a little bit more difficult to get now. Obviously, the big boys are buying out distilleries everywhere they can and, you know, it's uh, a lot of money in booze, let's say. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, and uh, so they'd got me working on this this private label and we'd basically done a contract and how it was going to be, uh, you know, get this, let's launch this, blah, blah, blah. But then Dean and DeLuca go under a few years later and they'd put, put their private label range on the back burner. So I'd had sort of the one drop 10-year-old, which unfortunately, you know, I don't know how to get to you. It sounds crazy, but it's it's hard to get out of the – it's very difficult to get out of the Bahamas. It's, there's no UPS, there's no FedEx, there's no, just, you know. Just, I think all you need, like I said, pretty much, I think, you know, Harbor Island is just a little bit more south of where I'm at. But I think if you take a, a crate, throw the rum in there, and just throw it in the ocean, it'll get the to the eventually. Yeah. Gulf Stream will get it to you, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, no, it's crazy. Unless you know someone that's prepared to carry something back for you. Yeah. You know, if I'm, if I'm trying to send it, I can't. Yeah, I'm trying to send booze back, even if it's marked samples. There could be an issue. Trying to get anything into the US from the Bahamas is, unless it's you know on those very fast boats and it's illegal. Yeah, it ain't gonna happen. It's uh, yeah, we so, need to do, we need to do some rum running here. Yeah, I mean, anyway, I wish I could have got you some, but yeah. yeah so that's sort of the one drop started. You know, in January 2018, okay. I'd sort of had this this the one drop 10 year old blend and I had no brand and I sort of was sort of running very low on money. It's a whole bunch of things happening in my life. I was like, Oh boy. Okay. So what happened in January, 2018 sort of turned everything around friends from here. Um, they had been living in New York for six years and they'd moved back in January, 2018. And I went around there, we're catching up, we're having a few drinks, saying, what are you doing? And I said, not much, what are you doing? And they said, oh, we moved back. They sold their business or their brand to a company in the US, but he kept the brand name, which was OneDrop, and it was a production company. And uh, he was sort of licensed or contracted to Ralph Lauren to set up all the, the fashion shoots and supply the lighting, the production guys, you know, all that sort of thing. So it was OneDrop production company. Anyway, he kept the name, came back and said, look, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I've got a brand. I just kept my brand name. And I went, okay. And he said, what are you going to do? I said, I don't know. I've got some rum, but I don't, you know, I'm not working with Afrohead anymore. I've 
got this blend and I'm not doing anything. He said, well, why don't we put them together? I got a brand, you've got a rum. And I said, okay, which was great. But then it's like, okay, let's raise, you know, got to raise some money to sort of fund the whole situation. And um, he said, look, you know, we'll pay for it. And I said, okay. And he said, we'll give you a chunk of equity. And I went, oh, that's generous. Okay. So we all sort of went in, you know, they, they financed the whole deal. Um, and I said, great, just leave it with me. So then I got on to, I thought, well, hang on, this is going to have my name on it. So I reworked the blend to what it is today. Um, I just polished it up a bit, let's say. Um, again, I wish I'd been able to get you some and you would have sort of seen where it's at. So sort of reworked the blend with my chemist. We back and forth, went, yep, this is what I want. Uh, got onto All American Containers about the bottle. You've seen the bottles. Yep. And I wanted a heavy, sort of strong, shouldered bottle. Um, organized all that. And, um, we got, what did we get? Like, was it, I think I got about 500 liters sent to me, or was it four? Whatever. Four between four and 500 liters sent to me here. Um, sea freighted over in the 50, you know, 55 gallon drums, the big blue ones. And, um, sort of, sort of wheeled it up to where I was living in this apartment. We put it all in and we started hand bottling, hand labeling. And, um, you've seen them. Hang on. Excuse my back. So yeah. So they finished like that. So yeah, black wax, you know, it was very macho, let's say, you know, rock and roll, let's say, you know, cause I'm, I'm, you know, I left school at 15 to play in rock and roll bands. So it's always black t-shirt. And we're, we're going to, we're going to talk about that too. <laughs> okay. So this was the first bottle we did. It was, um, first bottle September 14th, 2018. So it took us, you know, eight or nine months to get everything organized. Um, the company set up here in the Bahamas, which isn't too bad. Um, don't have to jump through too many hoops. Um, but you know, organizing the bottles, the blend, getting everything here. Um, everything here, getting anything here is ridiculous. It's, it's difficult. If it says it's going to be two weeks, it's going to be five weeks sort of thing. So that's, um, that's how that came together. Then with when we launched this, I had a few people that were waiting to see what was next. <clears throat> and there was a, a guy in Nassau called Enrico who owns Greycliff. Have you heard of Greycliff? Greycliff is like the – it's one of the top um, – has one of the top wine lists in the world incredible like wine list um it's a classic sort of french style it's owned by an italian called uh, enrico gasseroli he is a fabulous guy he's seller and wine list is you know in the top 10 in the world sort of thing it's crazy crazy anyway he sort of liked i, I had a connection to him and i said look you know i'll send you up a couple of samples he said great call me back and said hey um Send me a couple of cases. I think he said, send me six cases. I went, okay, great. You know, but he, he's the sort of guy that'd have, um, any celebrity, high end celebrity go in there. You know, I remember, um, you know, Jack Nicholson, Nicholson would be there, you know, um, all, all the famous actors and all that sort of thing and all the people that passed through NASA. Right. So he started selling that. Then what happened was bizarrely out of the blue, um, I got a call later, mid-December that year, and said, oh, congratulations, you've won this award. And I said, what award? If I said, we haven't, 
we haven't even entered a competition. So someone was there, Alec, a guy called Alex Brattel, who lives in Miami. Uh, his, he runs Caribbean Journal. Okay. Uh, if you ever heard of that. And um, he, he saw it, loved it, bought a couple of bottles, took it back to this competition in Miami in December 2018. And there was 200 entries in the competition. And he called me a few days later and said, oh, congratulations, you won. And I'm going, won what? And, you know, to get to the bottom, I said, how did, how did the rum even get there? And he said, oh, blah, blah, blah. So we won this competition, a gold medal in this competition. I don't know who the other competitors were. Anyway, I was very much in the dark. Anyway, um, then it started to sell on the island, sell in Nassau, and we got a couple of good reviews, and then people came knocking on the door. Oh, we're keeping an eye on what you're doing. This this sounds great. You know, how do we get it? We I had a group out of Toronto, Canada, and about three groups out of the US come saying, hey, when are you launching? When are you releasing? What are you doing? And so, the, so that's been going on for the last few years, and we finally signed off a few months ago with a US-based company. Um, we sold um, 50% of the brand to this US-based company. They're going to handle sales, distribution, okay. and uh, we're rebranding and new bottle shape, um, rebranding. The label's fantastic. They're waiting on um, the molds are being made. They're getting bottles out of China, uh, which a lot of a lot of people are doing now because the whole glass industry around the world is out of control because everyone's making gin or, or rum or whiskey. It's or all, something. yeah, it's boom. It, everything's booming all at the same time, right? So it was weird, you know, the pandemic, which was sort of like, you know, crazy time for everyone. We ended up selling half our company, very, you know, it was a very nice offer. And, um, and, all these other brands exploded too. So I guess everyone was sort of stuck at home drinking. <laughs> well, that's how, that was how it was yeah. here in the, the U.S. where a lot, a lot of states where, you know, they're trying to keep people home, don't go to the bars. And, you know, it was like a, a good and bad thing because if you own an establishment, you were hurting because now nobody's coming because of lockdowns or whatever. Or, or everyone's now doing takeout. And here in Florida, they changed the state law. And I, I, I don't know if it, it reverted back, but it was where restaurants that don't have a, uh, like a carry, uh, like a package store where you can buy and take it out. And, and, and so, so all sorts of places started letting you, if you did pick up, you can pick it up and say, Hey, I, I want a six pack of beer to go with my pizza or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you can buy it all together on all, all the, or, there are certain drinks, and uh, I remember we ordered some place like a like a Mexican kind of place, and they had drinks to go, and you know, so it was like it was really bizarre that I don't yeah. know. Let's let's keep track in you know in a few years and see you know that once we get through the pandemic that we're going to have a, a liver epidemic because because <laughs> everyone's been in their houses. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, was, it was crazy times, but um, definitely everyone everyone kept drinking. Right. I'll tell you a little addition to this story it was so in here in the Bahamas, like it was late March maybe, and they just threw this lockdown on everyone. It was like you had two days to sort of stock up, then you're allowed out one day a week to do your shop. And it's a small island, three miles long, one mile, one mile wide, um, but everyone basically lives within like a, a one-mile radius, yeah. right? Right. So it's easy for the police to be policed, right? So it was like, oh, shit. Damn. Okay, so better get organized. 
And what happened was uh, here in my apartment where I live, our second bedroom is our warehouse. So after dark, I'd get these knocks on the doors. And I go, hello, and say, bottle of rum, please. And it's guys like in dark clothes. And everyone was like jumping people's fences and going around the back of the church and behind the big library. And they're coming across the road to me. And I had, I don't know how much I sold through the front door. It wasn't even the back door, it was the front door. And it was just like, hey, bang, bang. Toby, as your legal advisor here, let, let me let me stop, make sure you're not incriminating yourself. <laughs> well, you know what I did? Because the guys were saying, you know, everyone was looking around. Because if you were caught out, it was a $200 fine. So what I ended up doing was, I, I you know, everyone knows everyone. I know the police. <clears throat> and I became very friendly with the sergeant. And I said, look, you know, like, <clears throat> I'm, I'm not doing anything bad, but, you know, you don't mind if I sell a couple. He said, no, no, because they shut the liquor stores. Oh, oh, wow. And the bars. So, you know, everyone here, rum is the biggest, you know, right, the spirit drink. drunk here in the, in the Bahamas. And so I took a case of rum up to the sergeant. They said, look, you know, here you go. So it was sort of like pay to play. <laughs> so I'd supply all through the pandemic. I, I probably sent up four or five cases over a five-month five period. So, so on Harbor Island, they should have a statue of you now, right? You, you <laughs> saved, you saved Harbor Island through the the lockdown. I tell you what, man, I don't, I don't know how much I sold, but it was just cash in hand. Uh, uh, cash, yeah. okay. <laughs> anyway, that was uh, that was that. So you know, one drop really took off. Then um, I worked on a gold blend, um, which I really, really wanted to do. So I worked on. I sent you some. Um, Bits and pieces. You saw I did a, I did ten, a five-year-old, and the cactus and cane, right? Right. Yeah. So <coughs> let me, let me, yeah. So I, I was looking at that. So there's right the three, your ten is eighty-six proof, mm-hmm. and the cactus and cane is a hundred and one, which is reading reading the description for the cactus and cane words, and I'll and I can let you, you know, you kind of describe it a little bit more uh, that. Finishing the tequila. I, I, I mean, is anyone else doing a tequila barrel finish? Uh, Plantation tried to, and they had the labels done, and I found it somewhere deep in the web because I was looking at it and I was Google searching. But then they did. I don't think they released it, and I know why because it's a pain in the butt to do. You know, actually aging it in in the, the barrels. You just got to check it regularly, otherwise it takes on too much. Of the tequila notes, especially if the barrels are wet. And I've had some Mexican rum that was, I guess, made. It's called, I think it was called Arape, and, and I guess it's made in the same place where agave grows. And it, but you, I definitely got a very tequila flavor from the rum. And it's like, well, it makes sense that if the cane is grown here, the agave is grown here, the soil has something to do with it. But, but this, yeah, that'd be kind of interesting because, again, so it takes how how long is most? Well, I guess it depends on if it's a premium tequila. But how long does it take a barrel to that free? Oh, I I don't know. My chemist had the barrels. He he bought the barrels and said, "Do you want to try it?" And I went, "Sure, why not?" And then we tried it and tried it. And the closer I thought we were getting, the further it was getting away. Oh, oh wow! So and there was at one stage, like you, you can't see. Let me show you. It was like. Dozens of these coming back and forth. 
and we get to a point, and it got to a point where I was so frustrated, I said, no, let's stop it. Then um, I realized once I started pushing the proof, it started to make more sense. Mm. It started to marry more the higher the proof. It was bizarre because I was running at about 80, then 86, 90, 95. just wasn't happening. We got to 101. It was like, okay, this is it. So it just seemed to marry perfectly. Then we only did one barrel. And I haven't done it since. And this is all this is all I got left. Oh. Oh. So they, you know, I sort of got a really nice bottle for it. And uh some people tasted it and said, I don't understand. Then other people tasted it and said, Oh my god, this is fantastic. You know, I'm a I'm a and yayo drinker, you know, tequila and yayo, I love it, love it. Then with that touch of rum at the front end, a little bit of sweetness there at the front end, it worked. But um I don't know if I'll do it again, you know. We can, but it's just like it's, we know we, we 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 know we know we know how to take shortcuts with that sort of thing, right? Right, and I guess if anything in that, and so I mean, and also then lastly, the five year goal. But what where where where's roughly the price points amongst the three? Right. Well, it, it's going to be different when they relaunch. I know that um, we're just discussed pricing, but the gold. Um, well, the ten year old sells here in the Bahamas around fifty to fifty five dollars a bottle. And the five-year-old selling about thirty-six a bottle, but they're they're real age statements. So you know we could we're definitely going to push it more expensive when it hits the states. Probably more like sixty-five to sixty-nine, you know, because real age juice. You know, you, if anyone's saying they're selling a fifteen-year-old rum for you know twenty-five dollars, no, no, I mean it's like a, it, you know. Yeah. I just do what I do, and other people do what they do. And it's all down. Let me hold your feet. Let me take you, baby. Kind of and it's all down. We can move ahead. Don't look sideways. Or get what Don't mind. Let's maybe take a little step back, but the how how we you got got to this point. But you start where you started off as as a blender, right? You did talk about uh, with Afro headed. I mean, how did how did you become a, a you know become a master blender or even get into that that line? Kind of. Um, well, I, I never call myself a master blender. or okay. Whatever the mar- marketing teams like to do, but um, how did I get into? It? I got into it. There's so many sort of like little streams that lead to the the bigger river sort of thing. Right. So my first experience with rum was 1988 and I was in Mauritius, the middle of the Indian Ocean, and there was there's a bar there and I, I said, oh, you know, what was everyone drink? And at that time I had no idea and they made me this drink and it was like this fire water, like it was an agricole. I, I remember it being an agricole. They didn't tell me that, but just my thinking back on the occasion was it was such a weird flavor and it was such a weird, weird flavor. And it was like, it wasn't bad. I think it had like coconut water and there was something else. That must Maybe it was lime they put in it. I don't remember exactly what it was, but he gave it to me and I went, oh, this is hot. You know, it was hot. It was high proof, all that sort of thing. And I had two. And all I remember is after the second one, I was like, I had to get helped back to the hotel. 
And so that was my first experience. I thought, eh, it wasn't great, but, you know, it wasn't like um, the horrible fall down drunk and throw up and that sort of thing. But that was my first experience. Then I had the, um, you know, opportunity to travel through through France and Italy and, and Spain and get to drink a lot of, you know, eau de vies, um, Calvados, aged Calvados, cognacs, and um, that sort of educated me in sort of the finer things. And then throw on top of that in Scottish heritage, you know, so my, my great, 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 great people came down on the boats where the English got rid of, you know, all the criminals sent into Australia. So that Scottish heritage also sort of landed it let me sort of get into Scotch whiskey, you know, single malts and all that sort of thing. And I really found um, some interesting styles there, and I really love blended Scotch whiskey too. So that's, that appealed to me. Then on top of all that, I'd sort of got to drink a lot of wine. People say, how do you know so much? And I, I drank a lot. How's that? You know. And um, so through travel, you know, and going to restaurants, you, you have a lot of experience with your palate. Mm. Um, and then I came here to the Harmers <clears throat> in 97 and we took our little old restaurant and, um, turned it into quite a well-known one now. And with that, I built a huge wine list and, um, the back bar, uh, was a rewarded wine list too. I sort of built this incredible, incredible wine list with all the first growths from France all the cult wines from Italy, cult wines from California, cult wines from Australia, the whole thing. So it was very much a show-off, you know, wine to sell it, let's say, but it also had some great, great wines on it. Um, so, yeah, I built that and also built a back bar. And that back bar um, was mainly Scotch whiskey and cognacs because that's what I knew. But it, arriving in the Bahamas and staying you know, here for about 6 or 12, you know, the first 6 to 12 months, the temperature wasn't really <laughs> working along with drinking a heavy Scotch whiskey. Right. You know, I loved, you know, the heavy peated one, like Lagavulin or something like that. Then it's so heavily peated, it just wasn't, it just wasn't working with the <clears throat> outside temperature. Excuse me, sorry. Yeah, it's, this, is it's, not, this is not COVID, it's just... Uh, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's got, Scotch is definitely uh, a cold, well, again, that's like in Scotland, right? It's a colder weather kind of... Uh, enjoy drink to kind of warm you up yeah so when i got, I got here in like january 1997 drinking that and july comes and a friend comes in and um he owns a house here on the island it's one of his holiday houses not an older gentleman and he came and he called me over i was in the restaurant the bar he called me over and i say hey harvey he goes hey you've got to try this and i go what is it and it was um havana club 15 year old he'd just been to cuba and he said, got to try it. And this is when the Havana Club had more of cognac-shaped bottles. So if you try that Havana Club 15 now, it's not like 15 from, what's that, 25 years ago. So he poured a little bit and I tried it and went, oh, my God, this is perfect. So the Havana Club 15-year-old, all of a sudden by the end of the year, my back bar, um, the Scotch whiskey section went to this, the cognacs went to this. Um, all the eau de vies and the grappas and things went to this. And I started to collect all these rums. So anywhere I travel like that, I find something, put it up. And um, people are coming and say, I've got such a great rum selection. And <clears throat> one of my biggest lessons in life that, that 
still with me to today was uh, one a famous chef in Australia. We got chatting once. Um, his name is Neil Perry, and we're talking about things. And he said, "So, what do you think? What do you think of this this product?" And I went, "Oh, it's really good." And he goes, "Oh, is that?" And I said, "Yeah, it's really, really good." And he said, "Have you tasted it?" And I went, "No." And he said, "Know your product." And it was like ever since then, whatever it is, I would taste every everything I could. So know your product, and people come in, and I say, well, "What do you like?" And this, and I say, "Oh, you're going to love this. You're going to love that. This drinks more like that." I'm not a big fan of this, but I got it. You know, a lot of those early St. James and the Agricoles, I, I, I sort of wasn't understanding them then. I was definitely more a molasses, more like um, right. Zacapa, Diplomaticos, the Eldorados, or those. All those big brands, right? And I was really enjoying them until you know maybe five or six years later, I started to realize you know something a little bit more finer, drinks more like a whiskey. I'm getting to the point of how I started to blend. I'm going, eh, nothing here is really satisfying my 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 palate, my flavor. You know what I wanted to drink. The Havana Club 15 did, but that was extremely hard to get. And that was if I got it here, it was like 200. They're charging 200 dollars a bottle. And oh, I was wow. like, Whoa. yeah. So I ended up one year, 2003, uh, 2004, a lady came through who was a reviewer, uh, reviewer for wine, a wine, um, I don't have the magazine anymore. Anyway, she, she wrote wine, reviewed wine lists and restaurants and this for a magazine and she interviewed me. We did the cellar. I had a cave. We walked in, did the whole thing. And she said, oh, you've got a lot of rums. Tell me about them. So the interview for the wine was about an hour and a half. The rum conversation went for another two hours. And she left and said, this is so fantastic. You're so passionate about, you know so much about rum, you should make rum. And I went, yeah, like how do you make Where do you even start? Yeah, right. So um, that went on. Then a gentleman, um, I think it, I think it still might be on the internet, um, maybe way back, an interview I did with him and um, I don't his name. The same story, did the wine list, loved it, loved all the wine, started out, oh, it's fantastic. I said, thank you. What about the rums? We go through rums for hours and he goes, man, you know so much about rum, you should make rum. And I went, yeah, yeah, sure, of course, right? Yeah, don't even know where to start. So I think I woke up the next week and we said, damn it, I'm going to make rum. And people go, yeah, how? And it's like, I don't know, but I'll figure it out. And um, and I always remember my mother saying, you know, like, you know, and I, my, mo- my mother would say, um, you know, if, if you're going to complain about something, do something about it. And I was getting to a point where I was going, oh, these rums are too sweet and da-da-da. And I wasn't really bad putting bad bad mouthing any blends. It was just, no, it just wasn't right for me. And I always remember my mother saying, hey, I'm going to complain about it, do something. And I was like, okay, I'm going to figure out how to make rum. <laughs> so I spent, I don't know, weeks and weeks um, on the internet looking for people I could work with. And, in those, you know, 2004, you know, you're looking for rum distilleries in the Caribbean and hardly any showed up, right? Right. So... I rang all through the islands. No, we don't do that. No one's going to help you. No, we don't do that anymore because I was just wanting to do like private label. Right. And um, been through the whole chain from the Bahamas all the way down. Um, and I got to Trinidad and it was like, 
oh, okay, Coroni. I found Coroni. It's like, oh, they'd just shut. They'd shut in like 2002 or 2003 maybe, and I couldn't get onto them. Then Angostura showed up. I thought, oh, I'll call Angostura. Got to the front desk. I started speaking to the lady on the switchboard because Angostura is pretty big, right? Right. And um, she said, no, honey, no, sweetie, no, no, no. We won't, you know, we don't do that anymore. We don't, you know, work for small people. We don't do private label. And I'd already been in the Bahamas, what, five or six years, so I understood, like, the Caribbean sort of feel. No, honey, no, sweetie. No, that's, no, I can't help you. Sorry, baby. Okay. All that sort of thing. Then we started, we hit it off. So we were talking for a few minutes and she said, hold on, I've just got to patch someone through. So she was on switchboard way back then, right? All right. <laughs> and so we got off and I said, oh, man, what am I going to do? And I said, look, I just really need to find someone. She said, you know what? I'm going to give you a friend's number. And it said, he's retired, but he's a retired master blender. I went, okay. And she said, call him, tell him he spoke to me and see if he can help you. So I did that. And I called this guy, Robert, in Trinidad. I go, hey, is that Robert? He goes, yes. Who's this? And I go, oh, hi, my name's Toby. I'm from the Bahamas. Alicia said to give you a call about making some rum. Oh, I don't do that anymore. <laughs> it was quite aggressive. And I'm going, oh, well, she said, and I sort of backed off. And I said, look, she just said maybe, you know, I got this idea. I want to make a rum, and you might be able to help me. No, no, I don't do that anymore. I said, well, hmm. Anyway, we were talking, and you know, I said, "Hey, I'm in the Bahamas. How's Trinidad? Good. I'd never been there." And we sort of just beat, beat around the bush a bit. Then he said, "Listen, why do you want to make a rum?" I said, "Well, I just want to a private label, you know, for my restaurant seller here in the Bahamas." He said, "But why?" And I said, "Well, you know, a couple of people who did reviews about the wine list, and you know." This, you know, I know about whiskey and they said, you know, I have this huge collection of rum and they kept saying, you know, you know so much about rum, why don't you make rum? And I said, you know, that's why. And he said, no, but why do you want to make rum? Why? And he started to get aggressive against me. Tell me why you want to make rum. And I'm going, honestly, and he said, tell me honestly why you want to make rum. I said, because most of the big brands now are too sweet for what I want to do. I want to make a rum that finishes more like a whiskey or mortar water cognac. And he went really quiet and he said, hmm. And I said, you know, you know what I mean about cognac? And he said, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. He said, that's a good answer. And he said, what are we going to make? So <laughs> it went, he wanted me to tell him, which yeah. I told him was like, I'm just finding these other brands too sweet. And um, I wanted to make it drier. And he said, okay, we can do that. And he said, so give me some descriptions of what, what you're thinking. And I said, well, look, I really like the way Zacapa starts. This is a true story about how we got to, he started fiddling <coughs> with things. And um, I said, I love the way it starts, don't like the way it finishes. So then we, we, we sort of finessed through that, through phone conversations. Then we started sending, he started sending blending down there, sending me little, you know, 250 mil, yeah, samples. And he called me and said, what do you think? And I go, oh, no, it's still too sweet, this sort of thing, that sort of thing. So it went back and forth. And back then he'd do a sample today and I wouldn't receive it for two weeks. So a lot of it, the initial blends were done by phone. Oh, wow. And he'd say, you sure? And I'd go, yeah. And he'd go, you're not sure, are you? And I'd go, no, I'm not sure. <laughs> he said, well, what is it you really want? And I said, listen, take this. I want the middle palette more like this. Um, it's too sweet. I want it dry. I need some more barrel notes. And so that's how we did it. And it was sort of like this fight, but it was a, a good fight because he 
really wanted to get what I had up here. We which, pu- he pushed you. He pushed you right to to write. Yeah. In. So he was actually doing the blending. You know, he was obviously chemist and he was doing the blending. But you know, he's taking all my focus to get to the, the point, which is the the bottle you have in front of you after I hit fifteen was that was my pride and joy. And um, I did, a, you know, I did three or four other blends, and I had one other blend which I was going to, I wanted to get to market. Um, but the fifteen re- really, you know, put that stick in the ground where 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 I'm at. The seven was great fun; it was more approachable, more palate friendly. Um, but the fifteen really stood its ground, and when it, it won a bunch of awards, people would go, "Yeah, this is where rum should be going." If you read the the article, I, I haven't read it for a few years now, but the um, World Masters in January 2015, um, they wrote how disappointed the ultra-premium rum selection was. Um, the other producers should take note, and uh, Afrohead 15 won the only gold medal that year because they couldn't. But it set aside a, a different sort of finish, right. which um, when you taste it, it doesn't finish like a rum. Yeah, it's and that's that's the amazing, like you said earlier about Nashville. It it, it totally, you know, it, some of these these rums that are not what most people are familiar with. It's and it and amazing is if some people blind taste taste it, you know, they would think it's a, a a a whiskey of some sort, and it's and it's not. And just because it's comes it's made from sugar, doesn't mean it's going to end up sweet, which is like a huge. Yeah, to uh, dismiss no, yeah, yep. You know, it's it's what you know. The magic happens in the barrel. Yep, yep, sure. Yeah. So, so, the, so, so, Toby, the uh, so that inspiration, I guess, you know, for the name of the rum, one drop. You know, obviously, it was inspired by Bob Marley, and you said it was as you know, your friend had the uh, the company and the branding and so forth around that. So, so it's definitely kind of uh, you know the the perfect blend of music and rum and uh, and so forth, right? Yeah, it will definitely like um, Joe and Italia who came back from New York who said, we've got the brand name. I said, i got the rum. Um, I've been working with her. She's a singer. I've been writing with her for about 20 years. And Joe was in production and um, music. You know, he'd, he'd do a lot of um, music events and things like that with reggae artists. So the, the, the one drop actually didn't come from Mali. It was sort of like somehow found its way into the story. But yeah, Bob Marley did a song, but there's also a song here in the Bahamas called One Drop and and you know, there's a whole whole bunch to it, but it was never really styled on or taken. It just sort of turned out that way. And Joe said, you know, that's just how it sort of ended up and, yeah. and the story sort of, you know, <laughs> gets embellished and sort of blown up. But um And for and for our drum our drummer listeners or musicians that may probably know, but but for those that may not. One drop is also, I mean, it's a great reference here for a drums podcast too. Is there is a drum, it's a drum beat, it's a drum style reggae. Yeah. yeah. Right. It's, it's, yeah. On the first drop. Yeah. One yep. drop. Right. So yeah, very much a, a reggae drum, drum, something to, I haven't, I haven't read up about it much, but yeah. So there's, a, there's all that, but, um, yeah. So that's how we got there. Then I, I kept working with Robert and, um, Bunch of times down to Trinidad, working with some of their master blenders in the blending room. Um, Barbados, um, 
spent a little bit of time in in um, Grenada and that, which I love. Right. Um, yeah. So I mean, just uh, just I don't know. I don't know if I'm a master blender or not. That's sort of what the marketing team put on when I launched in the US. But it's more like work. You know, work with a chemist. I know what I want. Right. I've got to get that out of my head to here. Then we work back and forth. Um, I, I've got a few pictures in the blending room where I'm working with an Angostura master blender, and you know we're going through everything. I'm saying no, this is this is this. And most of the master blenders there were were ladies, and um, it took a while to crack because you know they work with Angostura and now they're sort of um, trying to make you something. They got to work for me, and I've got yeah. two days in their blending room. It's like no, no, this is not, no, no. But um, I think the Afrohead 7 definitely turned out more like an Angostura uh, blend. It, it is different, but, yeah, there is a similarities. They are obviously we're using all similar juices, but the, the 15 definitely sort of that sort of is where I want it to be. And when you try the One Drop 10, somehow we'll get you some. Um, the One Drop, you know, I'm aware of all the big heavy Jamaican, you know, funky, you know, aged rums. And what I want to do is take that and sort of have it finish like a whiskey. And so it's a very unique and the people go, okay, we're going to drink some 100% Jamaican juicy and they taste it and we go, that's not what I was expecting. You get the Jamaican bump. Right. But the finish is much, um, in my, let's say elegant, a little bit more elegant and more refined and more, um, less heavy funk in the middle and back end of the palate. Right. So, there, there's, there's no burn. Yeah. No, no. Um, there, I did back add some, a little bit of sugar to cut it as, as li- little as possible, you know, to take any of that burn off. But it, it's a great run. It's, right. it just won an award down in some parts, you know, won the gold medal and we beat out, um, you know, a few brands, Black Todd. That's right. Yeah. Cause 2020, 2021, you just won the gold medal for that as well, too, just recently, right? Yeah. So somehow we've entered in two competitions, got gold in both, and we're still figuring out how to, how to, how we, how we get there with the, this is, uh, this is great. We get other people to do our work for us. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's been, um, it's been great. And, you know, it's, it's been a great, great journey for me. Like, you know, doing this and you go up against the big boys and people say, Oh, we love your run more. And I go, oh, you're master blender. No, I work with master blenders and, you know, I figure out what I want in the bottle. And one of them sat down with me once and looked at me really closely, Paul, and I said, tell us what's in your head and we want it right out here. I said, well, we, you know, it's getting that out of my head into a bottle. Right. I'm working with a chemist. I work with a great chemist now, and he can sort of almost know what I'm going to say next sort of thing. Yeah. It's, it's like an architect in the house, right? And the architect knows what they want. But they're not building it, but they know, no, not. right? So it's perfect, perfect. Day. And sometimes, you know, form and function don't. Right. <laughs> that's, that's another. That's another story for another time. So how so segue in here is because uh, you also got a, an extensive you know music uh, seems background in 
I mean, again, how'd you get into music? You said you dropped out of dropped out of school and joined a rock band. So it sounds like, you know, the, uh, yeah, what everybody wants to do, right? When you're in high school, say, like, oh, who needs, who needs algebra? Um, yeah. right? I don't know. I, I, um, I was 15 and it was like my 16th birthday was in the late January the next year. And this was December. And in Australia, the schools shut down for Christmas holidays around the 15th of December. 15th or 20th whatever and I got home and I went went to my mum and I went hey mum I'm leaving school she goes why and I go I want to play in rock and roll bands and go surfing and not work the rest of my life and she she looked at me and went okay son well you're gonna have to get a job anyway so she got a job for me washing dishes in the kitchen and allowed me to go and play rock and roll you know when I could in local bands and um, so all through my life, it's been basically, you know, music and food and booze, you know, restaurants. Right. So, you know, I've done a bunch of restaurant design and consulting for restaurants and, you know, had my own restaurant and still do some of that. The other side is that I do music. So I sent you a couple of tracks. I'd work, I'm working with a, a singer out of um, Toronto now, David, David Crystal. And it was funny, I, I messaged him yesterday after you said, you know, can we use some tracks? You know, you co-wrote on these, they find you use. I said, yeah, they are. So I messaged him and said, we're using a couple of tracks. He said, yeah, that's fine. So you, you wrote them and that. And he got back and he said, by the way, I need some more songs for the next album. <laughs> so he, um, we're going to be doing some Zooms, Zoom calls this week just to, I got to come up with some more um, riffs and that sort of thing. Cool. So that, he's my main guy I write with. But over the years, you know, I've had, uh, living on this island, I had a small recording studio. I had, you know, everyone from Lenny come in. We, we were just drinking rum. We weren't, weren't playing or anything, but Lenny and I were drinking a whole bun- bunch of rum back then. And, um, well, Dave Stewart's recorded in there from Eurythmics. Uh, did a song with him. Um, Daryl Hall came in and used it for some of his recordings. So Daryl and I became great friends. Um, gee, a whole bunch of uh, artists had come through. And the funnest one was um, I got to know, well, Mick Jagger used to come here quite often, and he's a big wine guy, right? Big wine guy, big Bordeaux guy, knows his shit. Great, we'd have great discussions about that. And me being Australian, him being English, we'd also have discussions about rugby and cricket. <laughs> and with Mick, I knew never to speak about, you know, the band or music. So... We just hit it off. We spoke about everything else. But the Stones, right? The yeah. Stones, yeah. yeah. But then, you know, he told, like a year or two later, he's, he told Ronnie, Ronnie Wood to come down. So Ronnie came down. This was, um, I don't know, man, 2009 maybe. Anyway, Ronnie came in and um, he was staying at a friend's house. And uh, he came in and said, look, I'm staying at this friend's house. And he said, if, if I need... To find out anything on the island, come and see Toby. So Ronnie comes in. I go, of course you know who. <laughs> Ronnie walks in. I go, hey. He goes, you're Toby. I go, yeah. And he says, you know, my friend said I got to come to you. You know, hang out, do some stuff. And I'm going. I was like, <laughs> like is this, is this yeah, is this happening? <laughs> is this happening? And B is like, these guys you know, have minders and everything, right? And the funny thing was, is Ronnie's going. So what are we doing? I'm going. Well, I've got a restaurant to run. And I'm doing all this. And he said, great. So in the end, we went to a few bars, a few clubs. This is when he was drinking. He stopped drinking about, I don't know, maybe six or seven years ago. Mm. 
he, he remarried and he just had twins and he stopped, he cut it out. So I've seen him since. And that, that week Ronnie was here, <laughs> we had some of the best chats and we were drinking Afrohead 15-year-old. And we'd sit there and, oh, my God, we drank so much. But him and I were just sitting there talking about, you know, he's telling me his early days when he started, first started, he was a bass player. He was a bass player, what band? I can't remember now. Anyway, he was a bass player and he said, those days, Toby, it was so tough. And he said, you know, this was 62 or 63. And he said, you know, we heard that's when people started to play more bluesy and heavier and things like that. And he said, I was a bass player. He said, so I had to figure out how I could get heard more, you know, the little amps and all this stuff. And he said, so I started to slice the speakers to get a bit more distortion. And he said he got a London penny. And he was telling me all these stories about how he shape it down and his pick was a London penny, right? Huh. <laughs> On a, you know, bass through, through an amp that had sliced speakers. He said, I just wanted to stand out. And um, so, yeah, he started as a bass player and uh, obviously went to guitar and, uh, yeah, really hit a big with, I guess, with Rod Stewart, that, that one album. Um, Every Picture Tells a Story, I think. Yeah. You know, Stay With Me. Uh, he wrote a whole bunch of tracks. Because that was always the story, right? Was that Rod Stewart had always complained that Mick had stole Ronnie away from from him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so but I mean, you know, <laughs> oh, the, oh. <laughs> the stuff. But yeah, Ronnie, man, I wrote so much stuff, and it was great. You know, this sort of thing. But uh, you know, it's a great move going to the Stones. You know, so, like the guys, what in you know mid to late seventies, they're still rocking. You know, it's just. They're loving life. They're doing great. I love it. That's so. Um, yeah, we had you know we had a bunch of conversations about that, and uh, you know we ended up um, coming back about six or seven years ago, and he remarried and um, had twins on the way, <clears throat> and he said, oh, "I'm not drinking anymore." So oh, okay, no problem. That's cool. You know, because we chatted about rum. He said, "You're playing much?" I said, "Yeah, I'm doing a lot of you know a lot of work at the moment." I said, "We're actually playing tonight." He said, where? And I told him at a local, local club here. He said, oh, I might show up. And I could see the glint, <laughs> glisten in his eye and I went, I better bring my other Telecaster, right? Because we got talking about that. He said, you know, us little guys, like Mick's not that big a guy, right? Ronnie is a little, <laughs> maybe yeah. less, Mick very tiny. And we, we got speaking about guitars. I said, you met, what's your main guitar? And he said, mainly a Strat and that, you know, older Strat's a lighter. And I said, well, I mainly play tellies because, you know, us little guys can't handle the big, heavy, you know, Gibsons. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah the heavy ones. Right. So it was quite funny. So I knew he'd be fine with the telly, and I've got a few tellies here. And um, I packed an extra telly, Telecaster, and I saw him sort of show up at the back of the back of the room, and he was there, and uh, and Sally, his wife, was there. And uh, I could see him standing there looking like this. And we were just a covers band, right? Um, all local band, great drummer, great keyboard player, uh, female lead singer, and really cool bass player, really good players. And I sort of there just getting by. And I could see Ronnie there looking like this. And, uh, anyway, I said, I sort of gave him the nod. He said, I could see he got closer and could see he just wanted to play. He was like itching to play. And I said, here, here. And I had, I pulled out my other telly. I got this beautiful old 68 telly and it was black and it was like, You'll love this. So he said, sure. And it was so, so funny. It's like, okay. And he stood there like this. And I'm going, oh, you want me to put it on you? <laughs> you want me to play it? 
you know, here's, here's a guy coming playing from arenas, you know, like the Rolling yeah. Stones, and I'm there going, just put it on, plug yourself in, and he's going. Yeah, I, I think I sent you a picture, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've got yeah. one of him. He's going like this, and I'm I'm there plugging, you know, the, yeah. the guitar yeah. lead. It's, it's, guitar your, it's your show, and you're now the roadie. Yeah, it was just like okay, great. Anyway, we um, ended up playing like a ten min, minute version of I can't remember what it was. Now we just jammed, you know, like yeah. he'd do a solo, I'd do a solo. The singer she would sing, then she'd come over. Ronnie'd sing a few lines. Sort of like stay with me, and you know, it sort of things got mismatched. So we just—it yeah. was more like basic twelve-bar stuff all, yeah. all the way through. So I guess and, that's got to yeah. be—that's got to be intimidating, right? To do a Stone song in front, you know, or or any band that when somebody shows up, either mm-hmm. in the audience or to jam, join them on stage, is like, all right, we're performing their song, and it's you know, kind of very can be very uh, nerve-wracking, I'm sure. Yeah, well, we were going to do um, so miss me. Is that it? Yeah. But I miss you. Yeah. Miss you, yeah. We're going to do that. We sort of started on that a bit. But anyway, that that was really cool. And um, there's a few musicians in the crowd and people were getting pictures and this. You know, that was one of the coolest things. And people say, oh, you played with the Rolling Stones last night. I said, no, just Ronnie Wood played with us. Thank you. I played with a stone. (laughs) The Stones. (laughs) (laughs) So the whole thing, again, is blown out of proportion in that. But that was really, that was really, really cool. And um, I had a friend and he came to me and said, that was so cool last night. I said, thank you. He said, it's so funny how you went from being a covers band to sounding like the Rolling Stones. Like Ronnie came in and just went like this and I followed him. And he just, it, we did, we turned into like a yeah. covers band of the Rolling Stones. It was really, really interesting. So I just started following his rhythm and his groove. The drummer picked up on it and was like, we're away. So that was uh, that was a highlight. So... Since I left school at 15, I've been involved in music all my life, you know, co writing a lot of songs and um, with different people and adding a little bit bits of pieces here and there. And now making rum on a, you know, serious level. Um, to me, it's, you know, had my rums, my blends entered in a bunch of competitions and I stand up, you know, world competitions. So I'm really proud of that. Is it egotistical? No, I'm just really proud of what I do, and you know I understand now how to get to a point to put a really high quality rum in a, in a bottle. You know, yeah, that's accessible I, to people and not too challenging. Right. I think a lot of the a lot of brands now you know, get to a point of challenging. They're trying to do this and do that. Sometimes people just want the simplistic thing. And, and it's funny. It's like you know, like you, like we said, with the listing, you know, in in the pre the the questionnaire was very simple cocktails. You know, the sidecar. I mean, you know, it's and even uh, you know the, the daiquiri. It's almost like you know, where are all these cocktails that people think they're old fogey cocktails that are very simple? Keep mm-hmm. it simple, right? It's the daiquiri, yeah. three ingredients, right? And today, most bartenders, because most people aren't ordering a daiquiri, but they're Frozen daiquiri and yeah, frozen. <laughs> yeah, they don't. It's like no, there is a difference, and it's a very simple, and it blows some bartenders' minds. And I, and I've been I've been accused of being a dick for like trying to. Sh- I'm like no, I'm I'm trying I'm trying to help educate people, and maybe do, I don't know, I don't I don't try to do it, but maybe it's coming off that way. It's like, can you make a daiquiri? They go, oh, we don't have a blender. No, no, yeah, yeah. You know, I, 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 I'm, I'm trying to help you out, learn. You know, I mean, I don't know. So. Well, the whole thing with with the brown spirits, you know, 
I got introduced to it through mixologists and, and good bartenders in New York, Miami, um, Nashville and that. And, you know, this guy said, I'm going to make you, he made me a drink. So let me make you a drink. And it came out in this beautiful coupe glass. I'm going, this is weird. Because I wasn't a cocktail guy till about 2015 when we launched in Miami and, and Nashville and that. And um, he made me this drink and put it in front of me. And I went, oh, what going to taste like? That's amazing. I said, what is it? He said, the sidecar. And I go, okay. Then he made me a Manhattan. I'm going, all using this Afrohead 15. So darker rums that aren't too heavily sweetened, right, work across, you know, the brown spirits range in, in cocktails. Right. And then I, you know, that got me thinking, like you said about a daiquiri, it's like I'd go to places and same thing. Oh, no, we don't have a blender. I go, no, no, a traditional daiquiri. And, you know, a lot of the classics are classics for a reason. You know, Manhattan, old fashions. Can you make me an old fashioned using, you know, the one drop 10 year old and I go buy and I go just make it and then have you taste it no taste right. it and they go oh this works well so I'm not saying you know, you know it needs to change from the yeah. classic right um you know whatever whiskey or whatever brown spirit they're using um it's just good to look at other things borrow you know right because there's so but much cro- right there's so much crossover that I mean in maybe those that may be purists say well no don't don't start you know putting rum in whiskey barrels or don't put scotch with this or whiskey in that but it opens up so much you know opportunities that a lot of these create you know people getting creative in different flavoring and in the different style of barrels too and uh, other than just maybe a, a bourbon barrel yeah we might do something like that we're going to do a limited edition each year um but yeah it's pretty much mostly been done now you know i, I had thoughts of that like five six years ago now you know, everything from cognac to red wine to, you know, sherry cask, you name it, every sort right. of cask back and forward. Now they're finishing, you know, scotch whiskey in rum barrels. <laughs> so it's sort of like, it's, you know, yeah, great. I mean, it, it's, it's good, you know, again, at the end of the day, if it's good, it's good. You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know? it's, it, it's uh, yeah. Don't be, yeah. People shouldn't be narrow, right. Narrow minded about it. Be very open and because you never know. What you can be, and I had I had a guest on uh, early last year, uh, Jacobite Spirits. Uh, Jamie was uh, one of the owners, and same thing. He was tough. He goes, I can't get this to you, you know, because they're not in the U.S. and and uh, and uh, but they yeah, very similar. There's like a whole big explosion of rum in Scotland right now, or has been going on for a few years, and so it's really it's really neat to kind of see where every time I think there's like, oh. Never thought of rum being made here, you know, but again, it's being made everywhere, all over the world, right? Yeah. Well, there's, um, yeah, new distilleries opened here in the Bahamas. It's no sugar cane here, but you can buy molasses, you know, at the right. U.S. You know, if you, if you can source a product, why not? Right. It, it doesn't, you know, hey, you've got a sti- distillery, you know, or, or, you know, if you manage to buy, you know, uh, from someone's um, cell or something, a few barrels here, a few barrels there, and start fiddling with it. So much opportunity to keep trial and you know trial and error. Let's say, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sort of what blending comes down to. Oh, this right. tastes. This is dreadful. If this works. No, this doesn't. Start work. again. <laughs> yeah, right. Which has happened to me before. <laughs> Jump around and 
So, Toby, the uh, so I've got a segment here in four sips or less. Some things that are like don't overthink it. First thing that comes to mind, and you know, some may be a little bit challenging. And uh, so, there's four four questions here. So, in four sips or less, neat or on the ice or on ice? On ice. Okay. In four sips or less. So I understand. I did my did a little bit of my uh, Google stalking, right? And I understand you mentioned that Sex in the Summertime, your big Prince fan, yeah, yeah, is uh, one of your go-to Prince songs for sipping on some Afrohead Seven. So I won't ask you what your favorite Prince song is. Instead, was Prince better before or after the change to the symbol? Ooh, <laughs> that's yeah. I before. You need to call. You need to phone a friend. <laughs> no, I'd say before, but after I really liked how he got. You know, he really pushed his boundaries out, playing more rock than more funk. You know, if you listen to um, "Sex in the Summer," you know, sort of cool walking baseline he did. But then, you know, um, "Lady Cab Driver," you know, really early stuff. Some of his early stuff is just so cool. You know, um, yeah. You know, I love I loved his hits and that, but you know, some of these other tracks, you know. Just, just insane. Just go crazy, you know, like. Oh, right. Yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. Just going for it. That band playing live, we're just going for it. Man. So, before. Before. Okay. Pre. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, when he wasn't, so when he was known as Prince and not the artist formerly known as Prince, which is exactly. Okay. Yeah. It was always funny is that how everybody would f- refer to him. So, all right. So, as you mentioned, you're, you're, you know, originally from Australia. And before, before we wrap, I do want to talk to you about something uh, that is Australian. Um, so beaches of the Bahamas or Australia? Australia. So you, I know. You, even, I know. That pink, even that pink sand there? I, people say, oh, you, you don't have beaches like this in Australia. I go, yeah, we do. <laughs> <laughs> you like if you, yeah, if you start to Google search, you know, Australia's top 10 beaches or things like that. Oh. No, the beaches here are beautiful. But also in Australia, you have surf. And I grew up in Manly Beach surfing. So, right. I don't mind having a bit of surf here. It's like it's more novelty, but the beaches here are beautiful. Um, but yeah, Australia. Yep. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, um, so as a master blender, what would some so what's something that most people would find interesting? How, how do you mean as? So I guess you know as as uh, I or I guess um, you know if somebody didn't know really what a master blender was or or did. You know, what is something that, you know, that you would think that what you did or do as a master blender would be like, well, that's pretty interesting. Um, well, you know, at the end of the day, the master blender is responsible for what goes in the bottle, right? The right. finished product. Um, what I find, what I learned very early on from Robert was trust, trust yourself, trust your palate. And I've always gone with that. So. What at the end of the day, it's like what goes in a bottle is what I want. 
so I trust my palate. Okay. And that's all I've ever stood by because I don't know a lot of the rules, but I know to trust my palate. And again, if I look at the awards that, you know, were given, and these were by <clears throat> people that do, you know, in many different um, competitions. So I've got to be doing something right. right. And that just reaffirms to trust your palate. Yeah. And like you said, when you left school and told your mom, you know, and this is what I'm going to, it looks like you're doing pretty good for yourself, right? With making that decision. Uh, so, but, it's kids, but kids mostly stay in school though, kids. Kids shouldn't be listening to this, you know, a rum podcast anyway, but. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a quick story on that. Like my, my ex-wife used to get so upset with me. If I hear one more time, you tell our children, you know, do what you want to do. You left school when you were 15 and your life's been great. I'm going to slap you. And it's like, <laughs> that's true. I'd say follow your passion. You know, if this is what you want to do when you're 15, do it. Not everyone's geared, you know, to right. stay in school. A lot of creative people, you know, don't last. Yeah. They might go into do something in the artistic field and that sort of thing. But, you know, if it's calling you, you know, follow it, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that that's so true. I mean, passion and, and drive can um, outdo, you know, education. And, uh, and, and so forth and motiv motivation. Yeah. So all those things, I mean, you can just because you have an education, there's nothing, nothing wrong with that, but yeah, it's not, yeah. Like you said, it's not for everybody. It's not for everybody because you've got to have to probably work a lot harder to, to, you know, probably get those doors to open or, or to get to certain places. But, you know, but again, you have a lot more freedom and, yeah. and, and no student debt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah none, none, no, none of those. But again, it's like you know, that's follow your dream, follow your passion. It sound might sound corny, but you know, I think this pandemic may show a lot of people is like they're not going back to this job. <laughs> Maybe right. they want to be in this job. So you know, I've heard a lot of that. How people, you know, a lot of people are resigning from their positions, so sick of being stuck in an office, and you know, go get a job washing dishes. Right. That's where I learned how to run a restaurant. You know. I go in and consult for some restaurants. And first place they go is dishwashing. I go, hey guys, how's it going? They go, good. Or you know, if it's ladies or guys, so what's happening here? And they don't say much, but they see everything. Yeah, yeah, right. So you know, I can figure out pretty quickly after talking to the dishwashers, you know, what's going on in a badly run kitchen. Yep. So that's my story. There you go. So, so trust your palate. Trust your palate and uh, listen to your mum. <laughs> So uh, in closing here, Toby is, uh, you know, um, so like we said, we would love to catch up a little bit later this year once the launch happens. Um, so we'll definitely keep in touch um, with uh, one drop here in the U.S. And, you know, and, and again, just kind of we'll definitely part of part of what I call the part of the uh, alum now. So um, so hopefully this doesn't take too long to get to you there. But welcome to I'm sorry, it's a little wrinkled here, but. That is uh, our, you know, our alum shirt there. It's our, our logo and so forth. And then on the back, you know, our taglines where the back, oh, cool. the back beach meets the spirits. So, yeah. um, so yeah, we'll, we'll get that out to you. And, uh, but yeah, so as we wrap up, I mean, what do you want folks to check out, uh, you know, uh, about, you know, what you've got going on, whether it's the rum or music or, or whatever. So here's the, the segment for shameless plugs, right? Oh, um, <laughs> Well, like I said, we're in the throes of rebranding. So the website is sort of loosey-goosey. Instagram, you know, you can get onto Instagram, One Drop Rum, the original One Drop Rum, Harbour Island, whatever. So it's sort of 
it's there. It's interesting to look at. There's some cocktail ideas, which I, I would send to you. Yep. Um, some great, you know, fun pictures. Um, but what I do want to do is um, I'm going to email you a picture of the new branding, but not to share. Okay. All right. <laughs> Will you be able to? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I can wait. You can lock it up. Okay. I'd like to do that so you can get a sort of feel where it's headed. The new labeling is uh, stunning. Okay. Um, not that the old one, the old one was more rock and roll. This one's more, it's got a really nice feel. I, I'm going to email that to you and if you can just keep that a secret till um, launch. Launch looks like we're talking summer 2022. So, okay. you know, um, I'm working on um, 10,000 litre blending the 10 now. We're working on that right now. So um, just got to get that right, ready to bottle. Um so that's still probably a few weeks away, another month maybe, you know, gotta let it sit, gotta let it marry to the blend to get right in. It needs some tweaking, you know, as soon as you get into big batch blending, which to me is normally, you know, right. I, I like working in smaller batch, you've got more control. Right. Yeah. So we're working on 10,000 liters now, the 10 year old. Um, we're not sure when the five year old's going to come up to market, but when the five year old does hit of the gold, um, I'm going to push the proof on that. That's out at that's out at um, forty percent ABV now. I want to push it up to about forty three, forty five. It, it can handle it. So um, we'll see. I'll let you know more about that. But I will email you a picture of the new labels. All right. And um, I guess we'll catch up later in the year. Yeah. No. For sure. And, and you know, things open back up. I know where we're we're here here in our house. We're still kind of we will, we love doing cruises and. Um, you know, now with you know, the pandemic, you know, kind of we're a little leery and, and, you know, when, when, when it feels safe to do it and, and so forth. But, um, like I said, I know we don't live that far from each other theoretically, right? You know, then, yeah, exactly. you know, like the, our last guest, you know, uh, we had on, uh, they're, they're from Singapore and, you know, that was a 13 hour time <laughs> difference. So, okay, man. I'm going to head out. Yep. Good to have, chat. Have a great day. Thanks, Toby. We'll talk soon. You got it. Okay. Bye. Watching all the lights go on, young lovers caught in embrace. No one else is face to face, no one seems to really care. For the man waving arms at demons, he only sees for the lonely ones whose lives are in a freeze day.
can you 